distracted. I am really excited. Uh, maybe that's why I'm just so excited that we are kicking off a new series together today. We're going to talk about our church. We're talking about Hope Community. Uh, and I'm excited for that. I'm also excited that you're here to hear that, to experience that for a couple of reasons. If you're new or newer with us, and you can find out however you want to, what does new or newer look like, um, you're going to get a picture of who we are as a church. Uh, and you're going to maybe begin to understand like, hey, uh, is this a church for me? Because there's lots of churches and what makes us unique. So you're going to hear that. If you're an old timer here at Hope Community, I mean, you've been here for a while or the other part, but whatever. If you're, an, if you, if you're a well-seasoned Hope Community member, regardless of age, uh, it's just important that we remind ourselves of these things. Because we can lose sight, lose focus, and just kind of go to church, do church, get in the rut, do that thing. So I'm excited for you as well. I'm excited for all of us uh, in, a more, in a larger way because we really do believe, we talk about this all the time, that there's always something more for you. There's always a next step for you. That God is not done with you yet. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, where your faith is right now, what you believe or don't believe, God has something for you. He wants to do something in your life. And here's what we also believe, that what God wants to do in your life is tied to a local church. That when God shows up and works in someone's life, he does that in and through people. Uh, and so I'm just going to kind of go out on a limb and say, if you're here, then Hope Community might just be that place. And so as we talk about the future of Hope Community, it's also your future as well, and what God wants to do in and through you. Uh, we have titled this series, What's Next? Because that is a question that a lot of you have been asking over the past several months. Months. So you can have a several months, plural. Um, you know, over, maybe over like the, the course of the last year, roughly, there has been some version of this question asked by, uh, by you guys, either me or Pastor Paul, or just kind of in passing, asking questions like, hey, what's next for Hope Community? Hey, I see you know, back in fall, we were way out of space and setting up chairs, so we went to two services, but what's next after we fill up both of those services? Some of you are very perceptive, and you recognize, hey, we're probably not going to be in this building forever. Um, we're going to be maxed out space-wise, especially when it comes to like our kids' spaces. There's even things we want to be able to do now that we can't quite do, and you're like, well, what's next with that? Are you going to buy somewhere? Are you going to build somewhere? Is it going to be in this? Like, what's going on? Some of you have been, maybe you haven't directly asked it this way, but I've, I've caught this vibe where you're like, we're like a real church now, so what's next? Okay, because some of you were here in those early days, you saw some of those pictures in the bumper video, we were barely a real church, okay? We were just a handful of strange people meeting in what used to be an old uh, Masonic lodge, and now it's like, we're like a real church. We know what we're doing, so what's next? Because there has to be something more than just a church each week. We know how to run a service, and uh, cool, we'll just do that, you know, forever. We'll just run a service, and you come and consume, and we'll do those things. There's got to be more than that. And so we're going to talk uh, in this series this idea of what, what really the buzzword is vision. Vision is simply, what does the future look like? What, not only is what could be in the future, but what should be. What is God calling us to? If there's something that we're moving towards, that we're aiming for, what are we working towards? We're going to talk about that. There's a proverb that highlights the importance of vision or direction. And I've got it in a bunch of different versions here, and I just want you to get the idea of what this is all about. So Proverbs 29, 18, in the old KJV, King James, baby, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth, had to get a TH word in there, right? He that keepeth the law, happy is he. The CSB says, without revelation, people run wild. Everybody say, run wild. I'm so glad you did that. <laughs> but one who keeps the law will be happy. The NIV, again, says where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. The NLT says where people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Ooh, there's that run wild again. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And the paraphrase message version says if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, what he reveals, they are most blessed. There is a picture of the future, and there is something about the future that God reveals that's his divine direction, that's something that he wants for us. That is true for us as a church. And let me just say for all of you here today, that's true for your life as well. There's a future version of you, a future of your life that God has for you. And some, one of the most impactful things you can do is pray through and figure out, okay, God, who do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? What do you want the future to look like? And then allow that, that, that future to guide everything that you do, having that sense of vision and direction. And that's important for us as a church as well. What is God calling us into? What is he calling us into? Well, after a lot of prayer, a lot of consideration, 
a lot of, as people are asking what's next, what's next, what's next, we're like, oh, just hold on, we're figuring it out, okay? We've landed on a what's next for our church. The thing that's going to guide us in this next season of a church. You guys ready for it? Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody is. Who's ready for a new vision, new direction? Woo! Yeah, drum roll, drum roll. Better drum roll, better, there it is. All right, this is what the future looks like for Hope Community. What's next is five years, 500 lives transformed by Jesus and for Jesus. That's what the future looks like. Five years, 500 lives transformed by Jesus, for Jesus. Let's talk about what it looks like exactly. Five years, you say, why don't we put a time limit on it? Because here's what I know. For most of us, without a deadline, we don't do it, right? Where are all my people who wrote the paper the night before it was due, okay? Where are the people that whenever you have, like, you know, you had chores to do, and your parents are like, hey, before I get home from work today, this needs to be done, and you're looking, you got five minutes, and you and your siblings are running around the house, like, oh, we got to get this done, because deadlines make, hey, it's like, hey, there, there's something that we have to do. There's something that we have to do, and so we want, as a church, to not just be like, yeah, we'll get around to that someday, but we want to know where are we heading, and we'll reevaluate on the journey, and we get there, like, hey, where's God moving us now? Five years, and we want to see 500 lives transformed. 500 lives transformed. Now, let me tell you what 500 lives transformed is not. 500 lives transformed is not 500 people sitting in a church service. Because church attendance, sitting in a service, gathering together, and hearing some guy with a microphone talk for 30 minutes does not necessarily equate to life transformation. Church attendance does not uh, necessarily drive life transformation, but life transformation will drive attendance. Because that's a natural outflow. And when my life has changed, I want to be with the people of God. I want to hear from God. I want to worship God. We want to see lives transformed. So here's what that means. We want to see people, we want to see baptisms and people confessing faith in Christ. We want to see people get discipled and growing to be more like him. We we want to see people who are isolated and alone. As we talked, I think last week, was it? The week before? I don't know, something like that, about just the the epidemic of loneliness in our society. We want to see people find real community centered around Jesus. We want to see people set free from addiction. We want to see relationships saved and restored and marriages healed healed and families healed. We are passionate about seeing a generation of kids and students who are going to grow up knowing who they are, where their worth is, where their value is, where their purpose is, that they will know who and whose they are, that they won't be searching for that and and trying to earn that their entire lives, but they will know that they are made in the image of God. They are bought by the blood of Jesus and he has something for them. We want to see 500 lives transformed. We want to see lives transformed. And you may say, well, why don't we put a number on that again? Because numbers give us goals, first of all. We want to know what we're working towards. And here's what I also know. It's not just an arbitrary number. Every one of those 500 is a person. You are one of those 500 people, and you are a person, and every person matters to God. And as a church, we say people are going to matter, if people matter to God, they're going to matter to us too. That those stories of transformation includes your story of what God is doing in your life through this place, and we want to see more of it. Five years, 500 lives transformed. And that second part is just as important, if not more, definitely more, actually, that it is by Jesus and it is for Jesus. That we talk about lives being transformed, there is a recognition that Jesus is the one that changes lives, not us. I can't force anybody to change. I can't change anybody's life. We have no power to make anybody else do something, but Jesus can show up and completely change someone's life. It's his power to do that. There's also a recognition, because some of you are thinking this, some of you are very like, I'm, I'm not a pessimist, Phil, but I'm a realist, okay? I'm a realist. I'm, we'll, we'll say it the nice way. You're like, 500 lives transformed, that's a lot. We seem like a small church, this seems like a small community. How can we possibly see 500 lives transformed? Because this, this, this is how. It's by Jesus. I don't want us to get to the end of the five years and have to ask the question, wait, did we do that or did God do that? I don't want us to set so small of a goal that we could actually do it on ourselves and think, hey, good for us. But I don't want to get to the end of this and be like, you know what? There is no way we could possibly take credit for that. That can only be attributed to the work of God. 
We want to see it happen by Jesus and also for Jesus. It's for him. It's for his glory. It's for his fame. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the name of hope community and people going, oh, wow, look at that church. It's about people going, oh, wow, look at Jesus. It's about Jesus. Five years, 500 lives transformed by Jesus and for Jesus. But with that recognition, again, it's him, he's doing it, it's his power. There's also a recognition that we have a part to play. I mean, we, we believe that God changes lives, that we are actually living, breathing examples of that, that he's changed us, but we have a part to play in that. It's interesting when you read through, and you read through scripture, you look through history, there are very few instances of God showing up and doing massive things where he hasn't invited people to partner with him. You look at like the stories of scripture when God shows up, there's usually him like tapping someone on the shoulder. Hey, I want you to go here. Hey, I want you to build this giant boat. Hey, I want you to tell these people this thing. He, he goes to his people and says, I'm going to do something, but I want to use you to do it. And so as we think about this vision, we think about the future of hope community, we need to ask the question then, what is our role? What do we do? There, there's some things that we're going to see uh, in a passage of scripture here this morning. There's a role that we have to play that not only is it for, for people to be transformed by Jesus through what we're doing here, but also for you and I to be transformed by Jesus. There's something that we're going to need to lean into. I want to look at a passage of scripture from John chapter 17 here this morning. Uh, in John 17, this is a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. So let me set the scene. This is the, the night that Jesus is about to be betrayed. Um, it's going to just a few hours from now, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be crucified. And so this is the last moment where he's got his disciples kind of gathered together in one place and he's teaching them kind of these final things that he wants them to know. And he begins to pray for them. And there's some things that he, he says in this prayer that are for his disciples then that are also for us as his disciples today. There's three things I want us to pick up on that I think if we want to step into this vision for our church and for ourselves, these three things are what it's going to take. So John 17, we're kind of picking up mid-thought, but we're going, to, we're going to jump in in verse 17 with the first thing that this is going to take. Jesus prays this. He's, again, he's praying to God the Father. This is God the Son praying to God the Father. He's like having a conversation with himself. I'm not sure how that works exactly, but this is Jesus the Son praying to God the Father. And he says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. What, what does he pray for his disciples? He says, God, make them holy. Now, we, we think of holiness, and we, we usually equate that to uh, some, sorts, some sort of morality. There's a certain kind of behavior, and there, there's a part of that that's true. We almost put a negative spin on it a lot of times, too. We think of the phrase, like, holier than thou. But, but holy, at its core, simply means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means when you look at something, set different, that was supposed to be set apart, and I got mid-thought there, set apart. When you look at something, you say, hey, there's a difference here. This thing is not like that thing. This is why God is called holy, and he's at a level of holiness unlike us, because we, we look at God and we go, he is completely other than we are. I'm not like him. He is set apart. There is none like him. There is none comparable. He is holy. And we, as his followers, are called to be holy as well, to be different, to be set apart, that when our neighbors and our coworkers, our friends, our families, when they look at us, they go, there's something different about you. In a good way. <laughs> I mean, something different about you. Okay, but like in a good way, there's something different about you. You don't look like everyone else. You don't act like everyone else. You don't live like anyone else. You are set apart. You are holy. Many translations uh, actually use the, the, the word sanctified here, and that's a good translation too. Instead of saying make holy, he prays sanctify them. Same thing. It's this ongoing process of transformation. 
that Jesus wants to do a work in your life that is going to take your entire life. He's not done with you yet. That's really good news because you're not a finished product, so you don't have to think you're always going to be stuck, you're always going to be how you are. He wants to continue to do something in you. From now until the moment you die, Jesus wants to continue to transform you. That you're going to look different a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, at the end of your life. It is going to be different. There's this ongoing process of God through his spirit, through his word, making us look more and more like Jesus. He says, I want want them to be holy, to be set apart, and the the mode or the vehicle through which that's going to happen is through truth, the truth of your word. And so one of the things that he prays is that we'd be transformed, and this transformation through truth happens when we encounter the word of God. When we open up the scriptures and we discover who God is, and yes, it takes some work, and we got to do cultural and contextual background stuff, but, but this is how God has revealed himself to us and who we are, and what this world is, and what's wrong, and what the solution is. This is the written word that transforms us, that shows us truth, and Jesus is the word become flesh who transforms us, who is the embodiment of what truth is. Jesus prays to make them holy by your truth, sanctify them, change them, transform them by your word. Then he says this, verse 18. Second thing he mentions, hey, just as you sent me, so as the Father has sent the Son, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And and so as Jesus was praying, he's like, Father, you have sent me into a broken world to bring healing, to bring hope, and now I'm sending my disciples to do the same thing. Jesus is about to go to the cross to die for the sins of the world. There's going to be his resurrection. Then there's going to be the ascension. He has done the work to defeat sin and evil, but we still live in this like already but not yet reality where sin is defeated, death is defeated, and yet we still feel the effects in this world. And so just as Jesus was sent into a broken world, now his disciples, we are sent into a broken world. As Jesus is walking around on the planet at this time, he's about to be crucified, raised, ascend into heaven. He's not going to be walking around physically, have a physical presence on the planet anymore, except yes, he is, because we are still on the planet. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the body of Jesus, just as the Father sent him, now Jesus sends us. Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them. Verse 19, he then says, and I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy by your truth. See, verse 19 is, is the hinge point that makes any of this even possible. Say, like, hey, I want, I want them to be sanctified. I want them to be transformed. I want to send them on mission. He's going to also pray for unity. But all of that revolves not around anything that we are able to muster up on our own, but the fact that Jesus gave himself for us. He gave himself for us. Jesus has given himself as a sacrifice for us. And sometimes we think, oh yeah, Jesus died for the world. For God so loved the world. It's a famous verse in the Bible. But sometimes we depersonalize that and forget that for God so loved you and he so loved me. That Jesus came as a sacrifice, not just for the world in general, but for you specifically as well. That you are loved. That you are forgiven. That you know that that stupid thing that you did last week you're forgiven for that. You don't have to carry that anymore. You know that stupid thing that you did 20 years ago that you keep reliving over and over and you, if there's any time in your life that you could undo, you wish it was that and you won't forgive yourself for it, you're forgiven that he's died for that because he loves you, that you are not your past anymore. You don't have to carry it with you anymore, that he is doing a work to make you holy, to transform you, to make you new. 
I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that, so that they can be made holy. I'm not praying only for these disciples, but also all who will ever believe in me through their message. So this is where we come into the story, and I think this is really cool. 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for you. Us sitting here in little Minerva, Ohio in 2024, Jesus was praying for you. As he prays, everything that he's prayed up until this point, everything he's going to pray after this, he's prayed it for the disciples who are there with him that night. But he says, it's not just for them. It's for everyone coming after them who will believe in me because of what they have said. And this is how the faith has gotten passed on. That first generation of, of disciples, followers of Jesus, they passed it on to the next, and they passed it on to the next, and they passed it on to the next. And today, if you are a follower of Jesus, we sit here and we believe because of their eyewitness testimony. And so Jesus says, I'm praying for you too, and everyone who's going to come after you. These things would be true of you. I'm praying that you would be made holy. I'm praying that you would be sent out on mission. And I'm praying that you would, final thing, be unified. Verse 21, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Jesus says, listen, I just want them to be one. I I want them to be one. I want them to have perfect unity. Why? So that the world will believe. So that the world will know that there's something about the relationship that we have with one another and the nature of the relationship that we have with one another that will actually point people to Jesus. That increasingly so, as the world becomes more hostile and more hateful towards one another, and if we aren't exactly alike, we can't be friends. That the church stands as a shining example, says, actually, no, we can't. We're going to figure this out. We're going to lean in. We're going to be unified. We're going to love each other. The church is, is meant to be this place that's not just unified around unity for the sake of unity. It's just like, let's just all lock arms and sing kumbaya, and you can do whatever, believe whatever. It's like, no, don't forget, he's, he's prayed for truth, and he's prayed for mission, and he says, you get those on board, and then you can be unified. That there can be great diversity in the church and differences of, of, of how we think and what we like and what our tastes are, but we are unified over things like, hey, Jesus is our king. And what he says goes, and we're going to follow him. And so he says, when there's unity in my church around the things that are most important, it will be a witness, a testimony to the world around us. There's three things. There's three things that Jesus talks about there in that prayer, that if we want to see this vision become a reality in our church, and again, if we want to see this become a reality in our lives, there's three things that we're going to need. That it's for us as a church, it's for us as individuals, because here's what I know, we will never be collectively, corporately something as a church that we're not willing to individually be in our own lives. And so Jesus prays that we will be changed by the truth. There's three things that's going to take in our church and in our lives if we want to see this happen. It's going to take truth. Make them holy, sanctify them, transform them by the truth. So there are so many people that we encounter every single day who are living by lies. Many of us, every single day, live by lies. There are things that we believe about ourselves that are not true. There there are things that we believe about the people around us, the world around us, how things operate that simply are not true. 
The, the, the truth, the lies hold us in bondage. Lies can never set people free. If we say, hey, just believe this thing, it leaves us still in bondage. That Satan is called the father of lies. But Jesus comes and he says, you'll know, this, this famous thing that people like to quote all over the place, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It was Jesus that said that. That truth leads to freedom. And then he says that he is the truth. And so we are going to be a church that is committed, that is committed to, to the truth, to pursuing truth, to declaring truth. And here's what we're not going to do. We are not going to tell the truth out there to everybody else and say, here's what you need to do. But we are going to first embrace the truth for ourselves. Because there are things that we need to believe. There are, things, there are lies in our lives that God needs to work out and replace with his truth that we want to come with an expectation as a church that whenever we gather, whenever we lean in, whenever we pursue God, that we have an expectation that I'm going to be challenged and I'm going to be changed and I'm not going to be the same, that God is still doing a work in my life. And then we're going to declare that same message to the world and our community around us and say there is truth. There is truth that will free you. There is a better life available for you. But as we do it, we are going to take our cues from our King Jesus, who John earlier in this gospel says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus was not the balance of, he wasn't 50-50, half grace, half truth. You never know which one you're going to get. No, he was full. And in the, in the Greek word full, it actually it communicates that it was overflowing, bubbling over, just like dumping out everywhere. 100% truth, 100% grace. And we're going to do the same. We want to see people set free by the truth and transformed by the truth. We want that for ourselves and we want that for others, for people to walk in the freedom that God offers. It's going to take us being committed to mission. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As a church, we're going to rally around this idea. Maybe we'll even get shirts made. I don't know if we will or not. With just a quote and a picture to quote one of my favorite movies growing up. A guy by the name of Elwood said, we're on a mission from God. Blues Brothers, anybody? Anybody? Yeah, yes, I see some, some celebration. One of the best movies I feel like ever made. Just all throughout the movie, we're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. That's going to be the posture that we take as a church. We, we're on a mission. That when we come together as a church, yes, we are built up and our faith grows and we encourage one another, but we're not just here for ourselves. We're not just here to kind of gather together and say, great, I'm good and my family's taken care of and while the world around me goes to hell in a handbasket, I don't really care. No, we are on a mission from God that we are going to bring the healing of Jesus into the brokenness, the light of Jesus into the darkness. We are going to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our community. We are going to do the thing that he's told his disciples to do as he ascends into heaven. Hey, I'm, I'm sending you out. You are going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're going to tell people about who I am and what I've done. We are going to be on mission. We have this recognition that, that what happens here isn't just for us. The church is not a place that we show up and consume, but we, the people, we are the church and we exist for the world around us. We're gonna be committed to mission and finally we're gonna be committed to unity. Jesus, again, that prayer, hey, I'm, I'm praying that they would be unified so that, so that, so that the world would know, so that the world would know that you sent me. The success of the mission that we are on is dependent upon the way that we love one another and the unity that we have with one another. The world will know Jesus when the church is unified. The church in our community, or the, the, our community will know Jesus when the church in our community is unified. Our community will know Jesus. We, we at, at Hope Community, that means we need to be on the same page with things. We need to be unified in our love of Jesus. We need to be unified in our, our devotion to him, our declaration that he is king, and our identity as children of God, that we're redeemed by Christ. We need to be unified in our purpose to glorify him. We're going to celebrate our differences, but we are going to be unified in the things that matter most as a church. 
And when we as the church in Minerva are on the same page, cooperating, coming together, that is gonna be a witness to the world around us. As I survey the landscape of, of culture and, and the church in America and kind of where things are with faith and church and, and just daily life and these different things, I become more and more convinced of this um, every day, that, that, that culture is becoming more and more uh, post-Christian and anti-Christian in some instances, and, and that's not going anywhere, okay? If, for anybody that thinks like, no, it's okay, we can reverse it, we're going to go, we're going to jump in a time machine and go back 50 years, it's not happening, and that's okay. That's okay. In fact, it's probably better for the church that we don't go back, that we actually are on mission. But as, as we become more post-Christian and people don't go to church just because, like, well, I go to church and that's what you do, that in that new reality, we cannot, as followers of Jesus, afford to be divided over things that are secondary, things that don't matter. We cannot afford to, to divide over denominational differences and stylistic preferences and turf wars and that person said something mean to me over there and so I'm, I'm coming over here. We, we are not enemies with the other churches in our community. We are not enemies with the other followers of Jesus in our community. That we are on mission together. That we have a common purpose. We serve the same king. And so can you imagine if we came together to advance the gospel? Can, can you imagine what would happen if in communities all across our country, instead of having you know, several stuck and struggling stagnant churches, what if we all came together and said, you know, there's, we're only gonna have a handful of churches and we are coming together for God's glory to declare the gospel. There are vibrant, life-giving, truth-declaring, on-mission, united churches coming together. This is about Jesus, it's not about us. That what if we were able to bring our time, our talent, our treasure, our resources together and say we will do more for the kingdom together than we could ever do apart? That we want to advance the gospel. We want to see the kingdom go forward and live that out in the here and now. I see Hope Community playing a leading role in that conversation in our community in the years to come. To see a church come together and say, you know what? There may be less of us in number, but we are far greater in power than we have ever been before and we're gonna take a light into darkness. Five years, 500 lives transformed by Jesus, for Jesus, by being a church that is committed to truth, mission, and unity, by being committed to that in our own lives and saying, I'm, these things are going to define who I am, and we come together collectively, these things are gonna define who we are, and we are going to see a move of God unleashed on our community, and lives changed, lives transformed for Jesus. It happens by being a church, a church, a gathering, not a building, a gathering of people with one king, with one purpose. It's going to take all of us to do this. It's gonna take all of us saying, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. I'm committed to truth. I'm committed to mission. I'm committed to unity. I wanna see this community transformed for Jesus. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do for today. This is your homework. I'm gonna have a little homework assignment for you each week. My homework assignment for, for you today is just a couple of things. Um, number one, engage with us in this series especially. Engage, and what I mean by engage is hey, don't just, don't just sit and, and consume, but participate, engage. If at all possible, do not miss a week of this series. I know sometimes like sickness and travel are different things, but if you are in town and able-bodied, be in church as we celebrate and look forward to what God is doing. Also, here's the next thing that engagement is gonna look like. If you're in a community group, talk about this in your group. Hey, what does it look like for us to be a part of this? What does it look like for us to advance this, this mission down the field? I want you to take a look around the room. I want you to recognize this morning, hey, is there somebody here who I don't see who's normally part of our church? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to text them after church and say, you missed out today. We missed you so much. Here's the link to the message. Sit with me next week. I want you to do that. Can you guys do that for me? 
Can you do it? One person can do it. Scott's texting everybody. Love it. <laughs> we say, hey, listen, God is up to something. We want to be a part of this together. So those who are part of this church, if you've got people in your, in your head, in your mind, in your life, you're thinking, you know what? They need a life-giving church. They need a place where they can discover Jesus, where they can pursue him with other people. They need to be a part of what God is doing here. I want you to text them this week or call them or show up at their house, whatever, whatever works best for you, and say, hey, come to church with me next week. Come to church. Let's see what God is up to. Engage with us. Spread the word, and let's see what God's going to do. God has more for us as a church. He has more for you as individuals and as people. He wants to, to do something in you. He wants to do something through you. We really do believe we're just getting started, and we can't wait to see what God has next. We can't wait to do that together. Let me pray for you. God, thanks so much uh, just for who you are. God, thank you for uh, just the love that you have for each and every person here, each and every person in this community, in this world, that you love us so much that you sent your son to make a way for us to get back to you, uh, to, to, to bridge that, that gap that existed between us and you because of our sin, to pay for the price of our sin, to defeat the power of death once and for all. So we have a hope and a future in you, God. We praise you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are the kind of God that that you chase us down, you pursue us, that we're people that matter to you. And so God, I pray that you would make us a people that would reflect that into our community, that we would be committed to your truth as we seek to see ourselves and the community around us transformed, that we would be committed to your mission, that we'd be committed to loving unity with one another. God, I pray that you just do a work in us. May you do more than we could ask, seek, or imagine. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.